Okay, so can we talk about how that just took 45 minutes to figure out how to get two microphones set up? Guys, this is not easy, and I have said this multiple times. GarageBand gives me such the biggest freaking headache. I didn't think it was going to be that easy, and I was just on Amazon like two weeks ago, and I was like, oh, this is going to be plenty of time for me to get all the equipment that I need to have Deborah on. Nope. It shows up. Some of it showed up um, Wednesday, and then some of it showed up yesterday, and then I was just running a little bit late this morning, so I was trying to get everything set up, and then I have Deborah just sitting here <laughs> very patiently, and I'm so thankful as I try to figure everything out, but it's really hard to figure this stuff out. It's not always easy. You did a good job. Well, thank you. So I want to welcome Deborah to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for inviting me. I hope I don't say anything really stupid. No, you're fine. <laughs> I say, say stupid stuff all the time. Um, so why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh my gosh. Um, like what sort of stuff do you want to well, know about me? Um, I mean, you can start, I don't know if you're comfortable like telling your age or a little bit about your background, like oh, where you come okay. from, yep. your education background, because we're definitely going to talk about that. What maybe your experiences you could say, yeah, just okay. like something like that. Well, first starters. I am old enough to be your mother, <laughs> and um, we met at work, obviously, yes. and I have a lot of respect for you, and I like watching how much of a go-getter you are, well, thank you. and seeing you learn a new job, and like take hold of it, and do great work. We started on about the same day. Yeah, we did start on the same day. We went to the like orientation together. Yeah, we went to orientation together, so that was fun. And um, I've known you since the end of September. Yep. Uh, let's see a little bit about me outside of work. I um, I was born in the Midwest. I lived there until I was in my early twenties. Then moved to California. And decided that um, being not educated was not a good way to go through life. Okay. So I decided to get my education while I was living in California and um, went to school in the Bay Area. Okay. The San Francisco Bay Area. Lived and worked there for uh, more than half my life, actually. And then decided at some point that it was pretty much a rat race and I wanted to check out. So I uh, moved to Oregon. Lived there for uh, 11 years and then moved here about four or five years ago. Five years ago. So I'm new to Arizona, new to Mesa. And I think I'll be here for probably a few more years, but not forever because I think it's really healthy to move around and yep. try different things and eat different food and yep. meet different people and just have a great life. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And I don't know, you might want me to edit this, but she did go to Ivy League school, which I'm like really proud of that. And I have a friend who went to a fancy college. And one thing that, so Deborah does, um, she is barred in the state of California. And at our very first um, like get together, like work get together, I don't know, what do we call them on our team? just like happy hours where we get together outside of work just to like bond yep. because the team that we work on is a hundred percent virtual. So we are not in the office with everyone at the same time. And so I remember at our very first um, get together, I heard Deborah say, you know, I went into law school being really nice and I came out just like not a nice person. And I wasn't having a conversation with Deborah at the time I was having a side conversation, but you know, I'm always listening 
it's like I can have a conversation with you and totally listen to what someone else is saying. Mm -hmm. It's a superpower, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I think it also gets me in trouble because it's like, are you even listening to me? And it's like, no, because this conversation over here is like way more exciting. But anyways. And so I remember, and I just looked at her and I was like, I need to hear all about that because it's so fascinating. There are people, there are a few people in my life who are lawyers and who are barred, but I don't have like a close, close connection with them. So I would never know that that was, if that was their law school experience. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Well, I would say that law school is a different experience for everyone. And I'm an introvert and I'm a studious person more than anything. And when I went to law school, I noticed that the profession self-selects for certain personality types. And one of the types that are attracted to the profession are people who like to argue and cause a lot of drama and controversy. Yes. And I'm not into that at all. Okay. So um, you stick a bunch of people in close proximity to each other and they think they have to behave in a certain way and they're, you know, like argumentative and it's very competitive. And there's also a method of teaching that's different from anything I'd experienced before. And it's called the Socratic method. Mm -hmm. And in that method, a professor will pretty much just grind you into the ground by questioning you relentlessly and trying to back you into, um, defending you know whatever statement it is that you may have made or whatever answer you may have given and so in that situation I think people are sometimes likely to um, get really surly I guess I would say so yeah it takes about three years to learn how to what they call think like a lawyer and once you've learned how to think like a lawyer you um, can tend to disrespect other people and be argumentative with them and demand a level of precision Mm -hmm. and communication that most people just are not interested in, in having. So mm-hmm. it turns you into a real jerk. Mm-hmm. And um, you you feel really proud of yourself that you've achieved this milestone, that you passed the bar exam, and that you now have, like, superpowers, and you can go to court yeah. and compel people to do stuff. But that's really not very nice. So <laughs> it takes a while to kind of back off from that and learn how to be a nice person again. Wow. Yeah, I just thought that was so fascinating because I one of my most favorite shows is called Suits. Have you ever watched it or have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, but I've never watched it. I would say a lot of lawyers do not watch shows about lawyers because it's aggravating because they take so many um, liberties with what the law is and how things actually work that you just kind of roll your eyes and go, oh, that would never happen. Yeah. So. <laughs> Of course, of course. And I feel like Suits, like, it's so over-exaggerated, but it is such a good show. I love that show. I found it last year. It's a, it's a pretty old show. I think it was on, like, 2000, I think maybe ended. So it ended because, uh, you know, Meghan Markle was on the show. Mm-hmm. And so she left the show to get married to Prince Harry, and then they had, like, two or three more seasons after that. So it was on from, like, 2006 or 2007 when I graduated high school, like, all the way it had nine seasons. I believe it had nine seasons. So it was a long, a huge run. But when I, so I feel like I have kind of that personality, like not necessarily argumentative, but challenging, like I'll challenge your thinking. Mm -hmm. I ask a lot of questions. Um, I love a solid debate. I like about you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Like I love a good debate if I feel like it's worth it. Um, so when I first got like 
started watching that show, I was like, oh my gosh, this looks so spectacular. This is just, this would just be so awesome. But then I also had to realize, oh wait, this is just fantasy. This is not real life. It's not, uh, probably not anything like that. But there's like a couple characters on the show that, you know, one guy, his name is Harvey and he's like the super shark. They call him like the closer. He's the best closer in New York city. Right. And then there's another guy, Lewis, who is just like, he loves art and he loves the ballet and he loves the theater and he can be, when he gets really mad and aggressive, you're kind of just like shocked, like, oh, where did that come from? Because he's usually so nice and kind and stuff. But then when it really comes down to it, he, he'll become a shark. So it's just funny how they're able to like show those two personalities, you know, at the same time, which I'm sure that it does happen in a law firm. Well, so I think you've seen a couple little instances where lawyer Barbie came out at yes. work. Yes. <laughs> and she's not necessarily, um, you know, sort of, I don't know, quiet and retiring. She really will stand up for herself mm-hmm. and not necessarily think about um, the emotional fallout from that all the time. Uh, but what I will say from what you said about, you know, watching television and, and thinking that something would be really interesting, but then realizing it was a fantasy. Well, I didn't realize that. So in some ways, you're way smarter than me. I was the, I was the kid who used to rush home from school on my bicycle really fast um, to watch the Watergate hearings when I was growing up. Oh, OK. And I thought, oh, my gosh, this is so fascinating. I want to have that job. Everybody involved in that is a lawyer. And I want to have an interesting life, so I'll go be a lawyer. Well, you would, in some ways it's interesting, but I would say you probably are toiling away and doing um, tedious work 90% of the time. Mm. And then 5% of the time you're trying to get more work for mm. your firm. And then 5% of the time you're actually doing something really interesting. So that that's sort of my take on, on how it worked out for me. I know other people will have a really different experience, but... I didn't realize how much I'd be sort of sitting and uh, feeling like I was cramming for final exams every day of my mm, life my when I was gosh. practicing because you're always trying to teach yourself something and learn something and, and do research. And uh, that part of it's fun, but wordsmithing can get kind of um, tedious. I remember one time I was on a telephone conference and there must have been 50 lawyers on this conference call. And obviously this was before zoom and mm-hmm. microsoft teams and all that but we were on this massive conference call and we spent an hour and 45 minutes arguing over whether we should use a semicolon or a comma oh my god and it was a really hot topic and i had my opinion and it wasn't a week later where the california supreme court came out with the case law oh wow a decision about what a semicolon meant versus what a comma meant and as it turned out my intuition was correct Uh but it didn't make me feel that great because it was like oh you know I wish we'd had this you know before we wasted you know basically 50 times an hour and 45 minutes of lawyer time at an average of $500 an hour yeah that's That's a really expensive punctuation mark yes yeah (laughs) and like the client is paying for that yeah the clients are paying for it so that was totally like on the client's dime yeah. You guys were having this argument. Yes. Oh my gosh, I yes. think I would be so upset if I was a client. But oh, it's not yeah. like you would probably tell them. I'm sure they that they didn't know that you spent an hour and 45 minutes trying to argue this, well, right? Well, of course they did. They were on the conference call. Oh no, they were? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So and they were there for, they listened to the whole thing. They heard I wonder the what whole their thing. thoughts were about like, 
Come on, guys, get it together. You're wasting my money here. Who cares about punctuation? I know. Really? Yeah, I know. Exactly. That's so funny. That's so funny. And your specialty was you weren't you weren't a litigator. No, right? You no, were no, no. Uh, in the um, deal making. Right? Yeah, I'm a lover, not a fighter. Okay. So it was um, what I the the kind of deals that I worked on were usually really large real estate deals. So if you think anything that had to do with dirt buildings or money, that was what I worked on for the mm-hmm. most part. Mm-hmm. And we recently were talking about um, scandals within the law firms. Okay. If you want to talk about those, I think that's very, very interesting. We were talking about how, well, do you remember? Yeah. yeah. That was so there are a lot of people who work a lot of hours in close proximity to one another that can't seem to keep their hands off of each right, other. Right, right. And actually, it's the case now that in California, it's a breach of your ethical obligation to sleep with your client. Finally, people are not supposed to be sleeping with their clients. Wow. Yes. It doesn't necessarily stop them from sleeping with each other, but it should chill some of the, like, um, power dynamic issues between clients and lawyers. Wow. One would hope. One would hope. Yeah, and I would think there was probably, well, maybe not, like, a lot of sexual tension, but when you're working that long, when you, like, I'm assuming as a lawyer, you don't really have a lot of a social life, depending on the law firm that you worked for. No, you do not. And so I I can see how the sexual tension could probably build up when you're working with someone of the opposite sex for all these hours. (laughs) You're not really getting out of the office. You don't have an outside, like, source to maybe date or flirt with or whatever so I could see how it could be common well it could be I suppose that's one way of looking at it I actually looked at it the opposite way and that the last people I wanted to be spending my (laughs) sexual energy on were people that I had to look at all those hours at the office in fact when I was in my first year practicing I most of my practice was in really big law firms in Silicon Valley and my first year practicing we had some um so you come in as a class and oh, yes. The, That's how they did it on the show. Yeah. So yes. the first year I was practicing, there were 45 lawyers in my class at this particular firm. So you can tell it was a fairly large firm. Mm-hmm. And the partners would just grind us to, to, the, to death working us. And, you know, their favorite trick was to come in at, you know, four o'clock on Friday afternoon and give us an assignment that was due Monday morning that oh. was going to take, you know, like 30 hours worth of work. Yes. And being new at what you're doing, you didn't know how to do it anyway, so it was really frustrating. And I remember one Friday night, we used to call out, and, you know, they would send food and... Mm -hmm. um, Chinese. I feel like it's like lawyer and cop shows. You always see them with the Chinese takeout. You know what I mean? (laughs) We always had takeout. So there was some some service that would, you know, deliver food to the firm. And... um, and when it got really late, there'd often be alcohol involved. And we used to play this this sort of game. It, looking back, it's kind of disgusting. But it would be, um, would you rather die or have sex with partner A, B, C, D, you know, oh, whatever. okay, okay. And the partners, you know, they're the ones who have the equity interest in the law firm. And uh-huh. they're telling the new the new lawyers, you know, Here, here's your here's your work. And, and, and do this, do that, whatever, right? And so it was always, I always chose death. Always. I always chose death. So if that helps with that question about whether there's sexual tension in law firms, I'd say, yeah, there probably, there is a fair amount of it, but I was just not interested in that. Nope. Yeah. Mm-mm. And like, this is such a great segue because I really want to talk about uh, sexual harassment. Yes. And things that we have experienced in our career. Yes. And um, 
like how this topic came up is because recently with at our company we had some harassment training and there was different like we're you know we're virtual so we're on a, a webex and um we were watching this video and it was giving like different uh, scenarios of how uh, harassment can happen, whether it be like teasing and bullying or sexually or, you know, what have you. And um, one of the examples was sexual harassment. And just to give a little bit of context, it was um, like the company and then it had their customer, right? Or like their supplier mm -hmm. or their partner, Right. And the guy from the supplier was like sexually harassing an employee at the company. Yes. At, at the firm. And she so it was a, a male who was sexually harassing a female. Mm -hmm. And this female really felt trapped because she felt like, well, if she says something, this could hurt her position at the firm or it will management um, support me in this. And and basically that that was the gist of it. Mm hmm. And then at the end, we all came back together and asked questions. And I just want to, and we all asked, we, everybody had an opportunity to like make a comment about it. And someone on our team made a comment and their comment was just like, well, she, she needs to learn to stand up for herself and she should be taking responsibility for this. And why didn't she do this, this, and this? And then Dever came on and really like disagreed with what that person said. And I now want to hear your perspective and your side of why you disagreed with what they said, because his, their stance was, she needs to take responsibility for this. She needs to be responsible. She needs to learn boundaries. You know, she, 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 she. And um, your response was really like that, that could be considered victim shaming. And why I want to bring this up is because my mindset on that was completely different. So, like, I want you to share your thoughts, and then I'm going to share my thoughts, and let's just see where this goes. Yeah, so if I remember, so it's been a little while, but if I remember correctly, the comment was that the, the person who was the target of the harassment should have immediately complained to her manager. And in the instance that we saw, the person who was the target of the harassment went to HR, I believe, yes. instead of going directly to her manager. Yes. And, and the person in, you know, who, who was in our, our company who was, you know, commenting on this, I think thought that that was inappropriate and that, you know, the person was getting, maybe getting the manager in trouble or whatever for the harassment that she was experiencing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, lawyer Barbie came out a little bit that morning and I said, well, that's victim shaming. Mm -hmm. No, it's not, you know, you shouldn't have to do that. And your assumption that a person who's in a situation where there's a power differential should stand up to the person mm -hmm. who is doing this is not always an accurate assumption mm -hmm. um, because there can be consequences. And a lot of the time, the person who is in the position of being the target understands where they're safe and where they're not safe. Mm -hmm. And in this particular example, what happened after the girl went to the HR person, the HR person contacted the manager and then the manager came in and gave the girl hell yes. for basically going to HR and getting her in trouble. Yes. And so I think the target knew full well that um, she was not in a position to defend herself. Yes. And I think that the assumption of 
our teammate, who is a man, yes. um, was just not correct. It's like you don't always know. It's sort of like when people sort of victim shame um, people who are victims of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Like, well, why doesn't she just leave? Yeah. And I think a lot of studies and, uh, and experience have shown that people people know that they're in the most danger when they're getting ready to leave and they oh. may have they may have reasons for not leaving at a particular time and they may have um, they may be suffering all sorts of um, emotional and mental consequences of the abuse that are not necessarily visible so it's not as if someone can just say okay I'm leaving today that there are a lot of things um, at play that other people might not really understand so mm-hmm. In my mind, what he was doing was victim shaming. Yeah. And that's so funny because I listened to a cult podcast. It's called, um, oh my gosh. Oh, it's called Trust Me. Mm-hmm. And it's like by two hosts who know, who have experience of being in a cult. Uh-huh. Uh, C-U-L-T. I might not be saying it clearly enough, but a cult. And so I think that that's interesting because a lot of the people that they interview, obviously they talk about their escape. And like you were saying, you had you had just said you don't know how dangerous it could be or how unnerving it could be right before they're about to leave. Right. And I never really thought about that in like a working environment. Like my mind Im- immediately went to like leaving this abusive relationship or this cult or some kind of religion or some place where maybe you felt trapped or you've been abused or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now you want to leave. I never really thought about that in a working environment. Why it could be so dangerous for someone when they're about to leave in a work environment. Well, I think a lot of the Abusive behaviors or discriminatory or harassment behaviors that go on in the workplace um, actually are very similar to what goes on in domestic relationships. Yeah. I mean, people are people, yeah. and they're just behaving in the workplace the same way they would behave at home or outside the office. So I, I actually see it as you know fairly analogous to what goes on in those relationships. And I have done some employment law in my in my past, not a lot of it, but enough to know that it was very uh, drama-laden and very emotional and not something that, I, you know, particularly made me happy doing it. And I will also say that, you know, I've been an employee for a number of years and I've had good managers. Luckily, now I have a great manager yes, and a really great team. Yes. I love her. And, yes. um, and I, I will say that there's nobody on our team that I dislike. I like everyone. Yes. Um, I would... So that's, we're really lucky in that regard, yes. but I've been in situations where I've had managers who have been not nice people and, um, some of the stuff that went on at work, it's like, Oh, that must be what domestic violence feels <laughs> oh my like. Gosh. <laughs> you know, I've got a stomachache every Sunday night. I'm dreading Monday uh, morning. Like I'm, I'm afraid of like what, what's this person's going to say or do and how bad that's going to make me feel. So, um, I think bullying in the workplace and, um, and harassment and discrimination can feel very much like that. Wow. And um, I'm currently reading a book. It's called Snakes in, S- Snakes in Suits. Uh-huh. And it talks about like... Is psych- it about lawyers? No. <laughs> 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 no, but I can see how you, why you would think that. That's really good. No, so it talks about like psychopaths in the workplace and like how to recognize them and what to look out for in their particular behavior. Uh-huh. And just talking about like abuse I mean that's exactly what they're doing they're abusing people to get the power to be able to climb higher they're going to use people in whatever way and so I don't know I just like I'm only a couple chapters in so 
I don't have a whole like overview of exactly what the book is going to be about or what it's going to teach me, but I'm really fascinated about it. I think psychopathy is something like, just like being a sociopath, like psychology is something that is a huge passion of mine. And so anytime I get to learn about people's behavior or personality types, types, like we were just talking about the Enneagram, I mean, that just like gets me so excited because then I feel like I can like know how to connect with you deeper and better and everything. So that book so far is like pretty, it's pretty good. And the title snakes and suits. I mean, it's just so good. It's a good title. Yeah. It's so good. Um, so back to what we were saying about the harassment video that we were watching. So Deborah, after the video was done, we like had a side conversation about it and I respected her opinion, how she said that she thought that that was victim shaming. And I, this is one thing that I love about Deborah and I is we are very opposite yes. in our opinion. <laughs> but I think you said it so perfectly. It's like we both have respect for each other and our, each other's opinions. Yeah, and I wouldn't say that we're necessarily opposite. I think we just look at things from a different perspective. And a lot of that probably has to do with the fact that I'm old and you're yes. not. No. And <laughs> and I think a lot of it has to do with you grow up in geographically different areas. Yep. You have different lives. You have yep. different family experiences, the whole thing. And it's always nice to talk to somebody who doesn't think like I do because I always learn something from that as opposed to just, you know, getting reinforced and, oh, I'm so smart. I know everything, right? Because that's not fun. That's not very interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I think that you just said it perfectly. And that's, I think, like, what makes our relationship work so well and, like, why we just, like, built this kind of friendship just out of nowhere. We just really connected in that way because we're both respectful of each other. We both love the fact that our minds get to be expanded when we have conversations. We're learning. It's like everything that I desire so strongly in a relationship. So I'm really happy that we could be friends. Um, So when Deborah came to me about her concerns or what she thought had happened, it's so funny because my response to that was like, oh, really? I didn't, I didn't, I did, honestly didn't see it in that light. Not necessarily about what our teammate said, but about the video in general, how she was kind of fearful. The woman who was being harassed was kind of fearful to like go to her management, right? And she didn't know what kind of repercussions were going to happen. And, and again, talking about Deborah and I have different life experiences. Like my life experience is that I have learned that if I don't fight for myself, no one is going to fight for me. Exactly. And, and people out there who have had people fight for them like I feel like you're very lucky because that's something I strongly desire like if I ever do have a spouse I mean that has to be a quality that he's going to fight for me right and stand up for me and right so So, that's really interesting because I look at it a little bit differently but sort of similarly in other words if if I'm being an idiot I I don't care if I'm an idiot or if I'm wrong I do want my my close friends and family to have my, you know, ha- have my back and take care of me in yeah, outs in the outside world. Mm-hmm. But when we get home, if I've been an idiot, Chris will say, Deborah, you're an idiot. Kate, we are so similar <laughs> because that's exactly the quality. I always say like, I'm looking for a man who will correct me in private, but not in a mean way. It needs to be in a gentle way. I'm fine with him like calling me out on my BS and being like, yo, that, that was not cool what you just said or what you just did. Cause I can handle the correction. Like I like when someone calls out my mistakes because then it helps me to grow, helps me to become better. It helps me to not make those same mistakes again. So I'm totally the same, a thousand percent the same way. Like, yeah, like 
have my back for sure, but at home you can definitely let me know if my behavior was unjustified or uncalled for or whatever. Yeah, I like a thousand percent. Stick agree. up for me outside, but when we close the door, call me an idiot. <laughs> yes. and, and we'll have a conversation about whether I'm really an idiot yes. or yes. whether you misheard me. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Oh, I love that too. Because yeah. I, well, like we said, like strong men are something that's very, really appealing to us, right? Like we, for me, I can't handle someone who's a pushover. Like, no, you can't allow me to push you over. Like I need someone who's also going to be strong. We can talk about this. I wanted to like segue back, but if you feel like we need it, we can talk about this now if you want. Well, I mean, strength has many faces, I guess I would say. And sometimes being strong will, uh, will somebody who's really strong can, can take being a pushover every now and then if, if they are trying to, um, be a good person. Definitely. Agree. That's me. Like, I feel like I can be really strong, but I know when to lay down. Like, we've talked about this so much. It's like, I know when to fight, or uh, not all the time, but I feel like I have a pretty good grasp on when am I going to fight this, and when am I just going to lay down and let it go. Yeah, and I think in my, you know, stage of life right now, I'm not really interested in fighting with people or in having drama. Yeah. So if there's a situation that's drama-laden or a lot of fighting going on, I'm I'm more likely than not at this point to just say, see ya, bye. Yes. Have a nice life. Yes. And the other thing is in relationships, um, when Chris and I first got married, one of our uh, friends who was a lot older than us at the, you know, told us that, you know, like newlyweds are like sharp stones in a stream Mm. and that it takes years for the water to wash over the stones to like smooth out the rough edges said so at first you'll you know you'll be like sharp stones and you'll you'll clash and then as time goes by those rough edges will sort of wear away and, and you'll become more used to each other and you won't fight and I would say that's absolutely true yeah so it's like friendships or whatever marriages um I think even the same thing happens with siblings, or at least it should, where over time you become less um, interested in, in having those confrontations and more interested in just finding a path to like be peaceful. Yes, peace, peace, definitely peace. That's really good, good wisdom. Um, so you and I have definitely experienced some harassment in the workplace. And if you're comfortable, I would like for you to talk about your experiences and in particular, this is so crazy, but we experienced harassment at the same time, at the same place, literally at the same table. We just didn't know. Deborah's harassment oh. was very visual. My harassment was not visual. It was under the table, but it was so wild that once we became friends, and I saw it because, like I said, Deborah's was visual, and she came to me, and she was like, what did you think of that? Now, I did not share. I just recently shared with Deborah what happened to me that same like moment it it was wild how it happened to us at the same time in the same place literally sitting at the same table I mean also who else did it happen to you know what I mean yeah and I think as as women were conditioned to be nice to people and make them feel comfortable and be accommodating and I think that people of color go through a lot of the same issues Mm. Uh, in terms of trying to make everyone else comfortable mm. um, when bad things are happening. So, mm. in other words, if, if you do something that's offensive or um, out of the bounds of good behavior, I don't feel the obligation anymore to make you feel comfortable that you did that. I'm more likely than not to say something in the moment. But 
there was a little incident that happened that shocked me so much that I kind of didn't say anything because I was literally so shocked I didn't know what to say. And we were going through a training exercise and, and someone yeah. who was in that same exercise literally uh, I it, we were we were sort of in a in a mock negotiation. Correct. And there was someone who was basically controlling the whole negotiation. Yes. And it was it was counter to the exercise. Other people weren't learning anything because yes. this one person was was monopolizing all the conversation. Yes. And we we really weren't getting closer toward the agreement that we were Correct. you know tasked with getting to. Uh-huh. And at one point, I wanted to say something, and this person literally put his hand in my face to let me know that I was not allowed right. to, to speak. And I found that to be really shocking. Yeah. And I remember, so I was getting so aggravated at this whole situation because like Deborah said, some people were just really trying to drive it. And for me, like I have no like professional um, experience in negotiating. Like I debate just like for fun. Yeah. Right. But I, I've never like had to debate for a job or negotiate in a job before. Mm -hmm. And I was sitting at the very end of the table on the opposite side of you and you were kind of sitting in the middle and I was just getting frustrated because I'm like, what is happening here? People are making things up that (laughs) no one even knew about. Like that one guy was like just saying these things and I was just like, what is happening? So I actually like got up from the table and I started, I was standing like in the middle of the table, but leaning against the window. Mm -hmm. And I was in perfect view of when he did this to you and why I felt like he had taken a natural breath so you could talk. You didn't interrupt him. No, I didn't think I did. No, it was, he spoke and then, and, and then he stopped and then you started speaking. And then it was like, no little girl, I'm the man I'm talking. (laughs) Yeah. It was kind of like that. That's like what it was at the time. I didn't see it like that. I don't know because at the time I was like, wait, he had a natural, I think he had, he stopped and she was talking like what, why do you got to do the hand thing? Like what? Just let her talk. You guys are on the same team. They were on the same team folks. Like you guys were on the same team. I was actually on the team opposite of Deborah. So I was on this, uh, I was on the customer side. You were on the supplier side, I think. I think. Yes. And anyways, so like they were on the same team, like supposed to be teammates. And she just put her, or he just put his hand up and was like, no, like you, you're not, you're not intelligent enough to say anything. You're a woman. You need to keep your mouth shut. And I'm the big man here and I need to do this. And I just like, I just had a perfect view of it. And I was, I just, I just thought, what? I don't know what I thought. I just kind of was confused a little bit. And I just, I just didn't understand why he did that. And I think, so this is my first time working in a company where it's male dominant. Uh So my background is fashion and beauty. That's all female dominant. Like at the salon I worked at for 14 years, the owner was male. And so we had one male who worked in the salon for the 14 years that I was there. Right. And then when I was working for a large department store in the buying office, we had two men on the marketing side and then we had one man as like a shoe analyst. Mm-hmm. The rest were female. The president was female, like the vice president was female, everybody. So I uh, was really unfamiliar with men who kind of have these like egos and attitudes. And so I think that that's why I was just kind of shocked. Like, what is he doing? You know? Well, I, 
I was shocked that that he did that in that setting, and it was so obviously inappropriate. Uh-huh. And he had uh, didn't seem to have a problem doing it in front of a whole room full of people. I know. And a whole room full of people didn't really react to it. And at one point, I think I and I'm I'm pretty sure I made the suggestion that we needed to take a little break. Yes. And which so, we did because it was getting nowhere fast. Yeah. And so we all took a little break and we went back to the um, to our separate little mini conference rooms mm-hmm. that we were in. Mm-hmm. And I I thought, well, how are we going to deal with this? Because this is not getting us to where the exercise is, you know, trying to teach us where we're supposed to be. Right. right. We're supposed to get to a deal. Right. It was and, never going to happen. And this particular person was monopolizing the table so yes. that there was no other air in the room. And the person who was supposed to be driving the, the conversation was completely shut out. Who was also a female, yes. by the way. And so well, Anne has a, a law degree. Who is barred? We think she's barred because she is a practicing. She was a practicing lawyer. Like the per, she has tons of negotiation experience. Right. Tons. Like she was a perfect person to lead the negotiation. Right. The perfect person, and they just wouldn't let her. And so, the, I, we went back to the room, and I, I said, I don't know how everyone else feels, but it seems like there's a, a concentration of um, verbosity on one end of the table. What does and, that mean? Sorry like a lot of talking for both you know somebody says a lot of stuff like Like this concentration on one end of the table so how about if (laughs) we how about if we just shuffle the seating arrangement around and maybe we can change the dynamic of the the negotiation that way Mm -hmm. because there were there was one person on our team and another person on the other team and they were just making it all about them and my hope was what was that if we separated the two of them um so they weren't sitting directly across from each other we could probably broaden the conversation and get to a deal by the time limit that was you know proposed in the in the exercise yeah and I think and I as I recall we were able to do that yeah but um I chose not to address the behavior like head on I chose to address it in a different way that was more likely to get the job done than it was to like be confrontational I guess and you know, kind of shame on me for not like calling him out on it right away. But it's like, well, it, would that re- would that really have helped anyone to get where we were trying to go in this exercise? No, no. And I don't think there's no shame on you. I think that we have to decide. Like I said, we need to know. Like, when are we gonna fight back, and when are we just gonna lay it down? Like, when are we just going to? But at the same time, what was happening to you on the other side of the table? Wild, wild. <laughs> was just like, oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. So what happened to me is there was this young gentleman who definitely younger than me, like probably in his 20s, mid 20s, probably. And he um, so I was sitting at the very end of the table and he sat right next to me. And we basically sat in the order of what our pretend job was, because like everybody was given kind of like a job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so and again, we were actually in a meeting with our manager prior to this. Remember, we showed up late because that's when we got the go-ahead that we're going to stay 100% virtual. Uh So, like, we weren't even there in the beginning when they were, like, actually talking about this. Right. And the teams had been separated. And and we had also missed lunch because we were in that meeting with our manager. Yes. And so I came in not even knowing what was going on at all. (laughs) I had no negotiation experience, like, nothing like that. Plus, I was trying to eat because, like, we missed the Mm -hmm. lunchtime or whatever. 
So I just, I was like, okay, I'll, I guess I'll take this job. And they just decided, well, I'm going to sit at the end. Like, and I put myself at the end just because I had, I was confused about what was happening. I didn't really have the full picture and I don't have any experience. So I just placed myself at the end and this gentleman ended up sitting next to me. And I thought he was like an ally and he had been there the whole time. And so I was just asking him questions like, Hey, what's going on here? Wait, why are they, why? Like the one man who just started to talk about nonsense, who was on my team Mm -hmm. and he just started to make things up that were not in the description. I was so confused by why he was doing that. And so I kept going to this gentleman next to me, like, what's going on? Like, why is he doing that? And I was just whispering to him and we were just kind of like whispering back and forth. Obviously we didn't want to make it like a huge show or whatever. And I just started to get irritated because I was like, wait a minute, this guy is, is leading the conversation in the wrong direction. None of us know what he's talking about. They're, we're not even allowing the lead negotiator, the female who's the lawyer, like she does, she can't get a word in. Then the thing with Deborah happened. Like I just was like getting like kind of irritated. Right. And this gentleman decides to put me in my place and he decides to very gently put his two fingers right above my knee and squeeze it. And that was him telling me to shut up and to be quiet, little girl. And you don't know what you're t- talking about. You Go ahead. Was that him telling you, be quiet, little girl? Or was that him telling you, wow, I really like your legs and I'd like to put my hand further <laughs> up on your thigh? <laughs> Well, whatever it was, it was not good. It was not good. Like, and I was wearing jeans that day, thankfully. I couldn't even imagine if I had bare leg. Like, the thank God I had the jeans there just as, like, a little bit of a protectant. But he just looked at me, and it was like a, you know what I mean? You can't, obviously, you're only seeing the audio. You can't see my facial expression. But it was like, calm down. You're you're overreacting. Like, you're being an, an hysterical woman. Yes. Yes. And, you know, you hadn't even really said anything, but it was really interesting how it was, we had, we had a fact pattern that was part of, you know, the, the exercise and, you know, one person on my team and one person on your team started filling in this fact pattern with Mm. all sorts of craziness, craziness. Like, where did you pull that fact out of? I didn't see that. Because (laughs) where did that come from? And that's going to create confusion. Especially when we're supposed to be in this professional negotiation scenario. Like, I wanted to have so many timeouts so I could ask questions, so I could catch up and understand what was happening. Well, I think what was happening was that we had a couple of people who really wanted to show how much they, how, how smart they were and how much they knew about how, you know, things work in our industry and put the rest of us in our place. I don't know, maybe that's just my read on it, but it was like, it was sort of like classic mansplaining, but um, in a, in a really weird context. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So after that gentleman, (laughs) it was like the lightest touch too. I kind of just was like, did he just, did, did he just do that? And I didn't say anything. Um, like I didn't say anything, but the one thing that I, that I realized is like, Oh, I have all the power now because you just showed me your cards. And that's the one thing, just like the man, what he did to you, it's like, oh, now I know how to manipulate that to kind of get what I want. And, and I'm not trying to say that in like a mean or psych, like psychotic way or like 
crazy way, but it's like you just showed me who you are as a person. Well, yeah, my reaction was more of a, you know, if I ever see you at the water cooler, I'm going the other of way. <laughs> a thousand percent. And like, I also knew this man was not on my team. I knew I probably will never have to work with him. I knew that we were a hundred percent virtual, so I would never see him again. Like, I just, I just thought you just showed me everything about you. I now know who you are in that context and I will use that in my power and I will use that to get what I want and I will use that like against you <laughs> well, you know what I mean yeah I mean what I will what I will say is that in any any large context where there's lots and lots of people there's always going to be a few people that are going to rub you the wrong way and I will say that we're really lucky in in the the people that we're working with I think for the most part we're working with well I I haven't met anyone I don't like. We have really good people on our team. And I'm really glad we're not on the team with those with those people who yes. are behaving that way in that exercise. And I don't know I don't know where I don't know where they are. I hope I don't run into them again or I hope that they were just having a bad day and maybe they learned something from their behavior, maybe they didn't. I don't know. Well, I don't I I'm pretty sure they didn't even recognize what they were doing. And that's the thing too. It's like learning to fight or learning to lay down. Yeah, I could have fought him on that. But at the same time, would that have done anything? Well, it was sort of a time, place, and manner issue for me. It's like, is this the time to like derail a, a learning exercise for the whole team and take it on in a different direction, which may or may not have been successful, and which people might not have had the ability to really um, deal with appropriately. Um, it just didn't seem like the right place but part of me was like oh how dare you yeah yeah and you know what's so funny is the other day I did it to my mom and I as soon as I did it I was like oh crap no I'm like that guy who did it to Deborah <laughs> and the the scenario was we have a neighbor who um she like watches her grandson and he's three and she needed a break so she was like hey uh, I actually don't know how the how they came over to our house because I think I was doing something and randomly he was just sitting in, in our living room and I was like oh cool and so I was like do you want to play Uno so Aww. yeah so he was sitting where you're sitting uh, my mom was right here I was right here and he's three now I am children are very intelligent I know this from my nephews like they know exactly what I'm saying to them, whether they're reacting or not. Mm -hmm. He knows, my oldest nephew knows, I say, Justice, where are your crayons? He takes me right to his crayons. Like the fact that he watches his mom or dad put them away, he knows exactly what they are. Like they're intelligent, okay? And I don't want to like discredit their intelligent intelligence. So I, w I was trying to tell him the rules of the game. So the rules are you can either put the same color or the same number down. Mm -hmm. Right. And I feel like that's very simple. I feel like a three-year-old could probably understand that. Well, if they know their numbers. And he, he does. Oh. He knows his numbers and he knows his colors. Oh, okay. So every time it was his turn, I kept saying, what are the rules? And he kind of would just look at me. And it took a while for him to finally, because he, he would look at my mom and I like, what do I do? And I looked at him and I said, you know what to do. What are the rules? And he would say, color or number or something like that and I was like yeah that's right mm -hmm. so it's your turn so what are the rules like trying to get him to understand like how to play the game instead of me constantly babying him to tell him oh it's like this so my mom was babying him and that was kind of irritating me because I was trying to teach him how to play the game and so when my mom would try to tell him what to do I had put my hand up like this and I was like oh 
crap. Like, I didn't mean to do that, but I was trying to teach him, right? And then afterwards, I was like, Mom, I'm so sorry I did that. She's like, no, you're right. Like, I should have respected what you were doing, and that was my bad. And I was like, oh, well, thank you. Like, I thought that was really kind of her, too, and she wasn't offended by it at all because I think that she knew that she was babying him, and I was trying to get him to, like, learn right and but she was also your mom and she went through that with you too so maybe she knows maybe she knows more than totally. i don't know i mean I, totally. haven't, I haven't been a mom so i you know i my patience with kids would be totally different than someone who's been a mom yeah and so and i was like well was i being too hard on him i mean he's three like he knows his colors and his letters no colors and his numbers like I, I was just trying to get him to learn just to teach him how to play it right so did he know how to play did he learn how to play it right well, yeah, because a few days later, I think I talked to him again, and I was like, so, do you do you remember the rules of Uno? And he was like, yes, the colors and the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> he was, like, giving me attitude about it because I kept, like, well, no, you know how to do this. Like, how is this Now done? you're the next-door lady who is, like, really obsessed with rules and that <laughs> – For the rest of his life, he'll go, oh, there's Jenna. Jenna. She she likes rules. Yes. Which I do like rules. I think some rules are good. But anyway, so I just thought, oh, crap, I'm just like that guy. But anyway, I think that harassment for women in the workplace is a big deal. And um, so I remember Taylor Swift and a few years ago when she was having those issues with her record label. Mm -hmm. And the gentleman was trying to, like, keep her music and I think that it is true I think record like record labels own the music and she was just trying to like I don't know if it was an ending of a contract and she was just trying to get her music back but basically like when she received this award she gave this big speech about how like women in the industry we need to stand up and we need to fight against what men are doing to us and when we were having our this conversation you know in private just talking about the harassment that we've dealt with in our lives, I just kind of went back to that time when I remember watching that speech and how there are women out there who are trying to fight for equality and they're trying to fight for this harassment to go away and the Jeffrey Weinstein, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the – Jeffrey, is that his name? Yeah, I think it is, right? Harvey. Harvey Weinstein, thank you. Harvey. Harvey Weinstein and everything like how women are trying to have more of a voice and are trying to speak up and have more equality and stuff. And I was like, yeah, I need to remember that there are, that this is important. Because I think sometimes I can just get caught up in not realizing, oh, wait, I have a voice. I should use it. Well, and part of me looks at how things have changed a lot since I started working. Mm-hmm. And I can I can sort of trace the changes throughout my career. And I will say that no matter where you are, there's going to be something going on. There's going to be racism. There's going yeah. to be sexism. There's going to be ageism. It's, it's everywhere. It's mm-hmm. just people classify other people. That's just how our brains work, right? And it, it is, though, gratifying to me to see that people who are entering the workforce now are not necessarily putting up with some of the same behaviors that those of us who started working a number of years ago were putting up with early on in our careers. So it's gratifying, but it's still there. And there are times when I just get so tired of all the microaggressions, I want to go postal. But there are other times when, you know, I, I know that it's probably not in my best interest if I'm to be an ally to myself and to other people to come off as um, somebody who's just um, scorched earth. In other words, there's a, there's a way to be 
um, gracious and strategic about doing it. Although there are plenty of times when I don't feel like being gracious or strategic. And then Laura Barbie comes out. Yeah. And we love her. We love her. Um, I think something else that I'm having to deal with more and you've really brought a light onto it is mansplaining. Yes. And you know, Megan Trainer, she just came out with this song called Mother. Have you heard it? No. Okay. But um, she, I didn't realize what the song was about because she talks about, I am your mother. You listen to me. Stop all that mansplaining. Mm-hmm. She's, those are some lyrics in her song. Okay. And then she did this video and said, I created this because I'm tired of the men in the industry, the music industry, telling me no or telling me this is what I need to wear. This is what I need to write about. This is what I need to do. And like, stop trying to control my life. Like I'm going to take the control back. Right. And, uh, Deborah and I have had many conversations about mansplaining because I really didn't know what it was. Oh, that was so funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, I had you Google it. I know. I was like, I'm not sure what you're talking about because a coming from the fashion and beauty industry, it's very women focused, like very female focused. Um, and then the only man that's in my life is my brother and he is not a mansplainer. He is a thousand percent a challenger. He challenges everything that I say. Um, but I also respect it because I also challenge people too. Right. Um, I don't think I do it as hard as he does. He does it very much. I feel like everything I say he challenges and it's not a bad thing. He just like, that's just his personality and I really respect him for that. And so, um, I was like, I don't know what mansplaining is. Like, my brother doesn't mansplain. He's the only one. He just challenges me in everything that I say. And uh, what is that? And then you started giving me some examples, and I feel like we just need to talk about it a little bit for the people out there that don't know what mansplaining is. Because I can't be the only one. Oh, you know, no, you can't be the only one. Because if you if you were the only one who didn't know what mansplaining was, it would stop. <laughs> right? Because I, I would think if you were doing it, you would be embarrassed to know that you were doing it and that people saw it as, like, boorish and inappropriate. But it happens every day. Yeah. You cannot go, you cannot go through a day without being mansplained in some way or another unless you're just going to stay at home by yourself. Right? Um, and I would say that there are women who are boorish as well, who will, you know, feel the need to explain things to you that everyone knows and assume that you're an idiot. But in the, in the context, and I think we, we confront it all the time and it's not just at work. It's just, it's just the way that we've been socialized to sort of be deferential to, you know, the male voice and, you know, I'm sorry. They don't always know more than me. Right. And I think, like, that's, I don't know exactly what the definition of mansplaining is, but in the experiences that I have had, it's just where a man has to, like, over-explain everything when I just need a simple answer. It could be a yes or no question, but then they have to go into the history of why it's a (laughs) yes or no. So, and the other thing about it, though, is there are lots of times I don't ask a question. Oh. And... someone feels the need to explain something to me that is my reaction is thank you captain obvious i didn't need for you to tell me that so it it goes so part of i think what's offensive about it is the i i don't know it, it just seems like there's an underlying assumption that um that i need something explained to me 
Right, like that we're not intelligent enough to already know that or look it up for ourselves. Exactly. It's like, no, I don't need the history of the, the world on why this is the answer or the proper procedure of how to do something. I, I just need to know, hey, push this button, click this, and send this email. Or whatever it may be, right? That was a well, very if you're, excuse, if you're talking about a work process, yeah. It's like, just I just need to know the process. I don't need to know, you know, everything about it. But if you're talking about, you know, like just having a conversation with someone and then, you know, the conversation stops while someone, you know, gets up on a pedestal and tells you how the world works, um, that's just like, please. Yeah, like don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. And I wanted to talk with you about this. So the, the gentleman that I had the conversation with at the NAU alumni yes. gathering, the uh -huh. one who thought that because I had a trade, I wouldn't be intelligent. Um, <laughs> um, now, great guy. Like, I think we had an awesome conversation. I'm really happy I could break that stereotype. But one thing that I noticed that he did to me, which I've never had anybody do this to me before, and I really want your opinion. And I don't, I don't know how to take it because, like I said, I've never experienced this before. But mm -hmm. uh, after we left the room and he approached me and he made that comment about trade and I'm intelligent and how smart I am, I also had said – I. I don't know how we got onto the subject of me being my own provider. And I said, oh. you know, I'm my own provider. It's not like I can just rely on my husband. And he goes, oh, you wouldn't. And, and I was like, I didn't really know how to respond because it's like, thank you. Like maybe that's a compliment, but then I, I just didn't understand. And then we moved forward in our conversation. We started talking more and, I was, we were talking about grad school and, you know, I had thought that I wanted to go and mm -hmm. it's a hard no, I'm not going. And I had told him, we were just talking about that, like getting my master's degree. And he was like, oh, you will. Even though I had said, I had decided I didn't want to get it, whatever. He goes, watch in five years, we'll meet up again and you'll have it. And I just didn't really, and he, he did that just like he did with the, oh, you wouldn't rely on your husband and, oh, you're going to get it. After mm -hmm. I had said those two things that were the complete opposite of what, how he responded, like he kept saying those things back to me. And I just thought, I don't really know how to approach this or I don't really know what to think of this. What are your thoughts? Well, so a couple things come, obviously I wasn't there Yeah. and I didn't hear, you know, I don't, I can't really. And his tone was not a nasty tone in any ways. No, but it I, think, wasn't. I think what, and it might be what's offensive about it, is the fact that he didn't ask you a question about what you thought or what you wanted or how you were feeling about something. It was more of a pronouncement that he was making based on his superior observations <laughs> of you as a person. Yes. Right? And so, yeah, I could see why. And, you know, I don't know if, if that's just a, like a man thing. I wouldn't say. I mean, because no. there are women who do that yeah. kind of stuff too. But I think when someone sort of makes a bunch of assumptions about you based on, oh, well, you had a, you know, you came from a trade background, so you must be this kind of person. And, and now you're that kind of person. And, I, oh, and I can see what kind of person you are. It's like, no, you can't. It takes a long time to get to know another mm -hmm. person. And even after you've known someone for many years, they can surprise you. Mm -hmm. So I think maybe that was what was happening. I'm not sure. Yeah, I just thought it was so strange that he was, like, countering everything that I was saying with the opposite. When I had already explained to him, like, I talked to my own provider, can't lean on, I wouldn't. It's not like I have someone to fall back on. He's like, oh, you wouldn't do that. And I was like... 
are you, do you know my character? Like, how do you know that I wouldn't do that? You know, <laughs> or like, yeah, or the master's degree. It was just like, and I explained to him, like, I went through the process, whatever, and that's how I found out. Well, and then, you know, ASU is the innovate the school of innovation, mm -hmm. and they no longer required the GMAT, which that makes me very happy. And we started to have that conversation about, well, they are like the most innovative school. That's something that they really put their mark on. And, and I didn't realize that them not requiring the GMAT was them being innovative. I, when I think of innovation, I think of more like processes and systems. You oh, know. well, there's a big thing going on right now with the U.S. News and World Report rankings. Uh -huh. And a lot of it has to do with uh, how, how schools are being judged. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of the, and this, this is limited right now, I think mostly to law schools, but most of the law schools who are ranked in the top like 15 have said, we're not participating in this scam anymore. Because I think the scam of the GMAT, the scam of the, the rankings. Oh, and so a lot of what the rankings are based on is the test scores of the students who are choosing to go to those institutions. So an institution who says we're not going to rely on these test scores anymore to evaluate who's worthy of coming here. That's a pretty gutsy thing to do. Uh, just like it was gutsy for the law schools, in my opinion, to say, you know what? U.S. News and World Report, you can take your rankings and do what you want with them, but mm -hmm. we're not going to play in the sandbox with you anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really good thing because I think Americans rely too heavily on uh, the, the so-called prestige of a school and yeah. that students will actually kind of brand themselves. Oh, I went to such and such a school or I went to this school. I went to Harvard. I went to yeah. Harvard, Yale, Stanford, whatever. Yeah. And um, Well, you can share your experience about that with your <laughs> you should tell that story you know what I'm talking about right no where you were having one? a debate with another lawyer and he was like well I went to such and such such school and you're like well I went to this school and oh you remember that story um not okay not exactly okay was it was it where I said something really rude where he was talking well, about what school he went to and I said well then why am I even talking to you yeah. <laughs> That was, that was like a really rude asshole moment in but my life. But it yes. was, but it wasn't, it's not to like, uh, shame you or anything. It's because he was trying to use his prestigious, prestigious school as this is why I'm better. And you're like, dude, I actually went to just a prestigious, oh my gosh, I can't say the word, just as a prestigious school as you. And like, I don't have to act like you. And so then you were kind of like showing him like he was eating his own cake. You know what I mean? <laughs> He was definitely eating his own cake. Yeah. But I'm actually glad for this movement where the, the students and the schools are finally saying enough is enough. You know, all these kids, like, okay, so I lived in Palo Alto for many years, and there are a lot of kids in Palo Alto whose parents went to really prestigious schools and have really prestigious jobs and they're very well off. Mm -hmm. And there was a particular high school that wasn't far from where I lived and directly adjacent to the high school are railroad tracks. Oh, okay. And the, uh, the Caltrain would run up and down the tracks. It was a commuter train and it would go, uh, I think from like San Jose ish to up in San Francisco and just went back and forth and back and forth. And anyway, this school, the pressure on these kids to get into the right school, the, the kids were feeling incredibly pressured to go to the right school. I have to get into this school or my dream school or whatever. 
And anyway, in a very short period of time, a number of these kids actually walked on the railroad tracks and killed themselves. Oh. And it got so bad that, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but for a long period of time, parents were sitting along the railroad tracks and, and watching, you know, playing, you know, like keeping guard. Wow. So that kids didn't walk on the railroad tracks and kill themselves. Wow. And, you know, I'd, I'd drive by and there'd be like, you know, parents sitting out there in, in lawn chairs. Wow. Know, just watching to make sure that the kids were safe. And so this whole thing about prestige and, you know, important schools and all and branding yourself and, you know, getting the right test scores and all of that, I think it's gone way too far. And it started to, well, started to, it, it sort of eats away at someone's humanity. In other words, if you went to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, whatever, or you went to, you know, ASU or you went to community college, mm-hmm. who cares? Yeah. Exactly. You're all reading the same books. Did you actually read the book? That's what really matters, right? Wow. What did you put into it? Not yeah. how much did you pay for yeah. it? Yeah. Gosh, that's so good. And um, so the company that we work for, um, we have like different like um, resource groups. And I just happened to um, get this email from the disability resource group that they were doing a book club. And so I'm just like, well, I love reading. And yeah. so let's just, I'll just sign up for it. Right. So I get this book and the book is called expecting Adam. And I was completely shocked by this book. It was not what I was expecting at all, but the author of this book, um, she went to Harvard and her husband went to Harvard and they were really like honing in on the negative Harvard mentality that is at this school. And, uh, we were recently talking about Deborah and I were talking about group think, and there definitely is like a group thinking within Harvard that like um, all about education, all about pub- like being an author or a published, um, like a research publisher. Like those are the things that are important is expanding your intelligence and your intellect, not starting a family, not getting married, not traveling the world and like having hobbies. It's very much education, 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 like who's going to be the smartest in the room no humility, a lot of pride, you know, all these things is what this author was saying. And, um, I just found that to be so fascinating because I've never been in a situation like that before. I've never been in a community like that before, where it was just all about your intellect and, and your intelligence. And it wasn't about anything else. And why we were reading this book is because their son, um, Adam has down syndrome. And the whole time that she was pregnant with Adam, the school was really pushing for her to get an abortion. That's what she said because, because like the teachers were saying things to her and her husband, like once the school, like some of the faculty, because she had to go to the school doctor because she was like her, this pregnancy was really tough. Mm -hmm. So she had to get a lot of IV drips like due to dehydration. And so people at this, like the professors were just kind of finding out about it because she had to go to the campus hospital and, um, you know, there was even some professors telling her husband, like, are you sure that this is what you want? Like, are you sure you want to have this child? Do you not know the difficulty that it's going to come with? Do you not know that it's going to put a hold on your academic career? Like all these things were, where, you know, even the doctors, the Harvard doctors on the medical, like at the hospital were like, so you want to set it, set up an appointment to get rid of this, right? They just automatically assumed that they were going to abort the child because the 
the child had Down syndrome. And I just thought, wow, I'm not saying everybody who goes to Harvard thinks like that. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying this was her experience. This is what she wrote about. And one thing that I thought was interesting is she used the term designer baby. She was like, are you telling, or, or is there such a thinking around, well, if the child has some kind of, now, she uses the word uh, retard. She does. She uses that word really? in the book. Yes. And I did find that to be very interesting, too. Uh-huh. Um, she did say, yeah, my child is retarded. Like, she did say that. But she said, are we in such, like, a society to where if the child is not, I don't, I, I want to be sensitive when I use the word, like, uh, different or uh, she may have used the word like a, uh, like a defect. Uh-huh. That's de- like, does that mean that we're just going to abort them and we're only going to give birth to children that are perfect? And, and she used this like word designer. Like, are, are we, do we, do we have that power to like be a designer for the, the child? And again, I just thought, man, I've never heard that language before. I've never to have a designer child. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, do you get what she's saying when I say that? No, I do. I do understand it, and it, it's somewhat akin to like eugenics mm-hmm. back in yeah. the back in the day. Yeah. Right, where um, they took the concept of survival of the fittest mm-hmm. to like this really like horrible. I mean, not that that's a good concept anyway. Yeah. But <clears throat> that you know, breeding pure children was in society's best interest, mm-hmm. and I would say. I would say that's not necessarily a Harvard thing. That's one, no. that's one person's experience, yes. first of all. Yes. Um, but secondly, it's it's. I, I don't find it surprising that it happens everywhere that people have these experiences because, you know, prejudice is mm-hmm. alive and well pretty much everywhere, even at places like Harvard, Stanford, Yale. Yeah. You know, Columbia. Yeah, <laughs> you exactly. Name it, right. Uh-huh. Um, so, yeah, I. That's, I mean, that's a horrible thing to have to go through, I'm sure. I don't know when when this happened. So what was the point of her book? Just to say that these bad things are still going on? Or, well, or don't, let, um, don't let people at Harvard talk you into having abortions? Or what? I mean, what was the point? So the point of the book, okay, and this is another thing that really caught me off guard, is it was also a very spiritual book. Uh-huh. And I wouldn't think that a, a corporation would allow a book that um is so spiritually based to be like allowed for us to read as a group of employees right i would think that they would want to keep it more neutral right so people aren't getting offended and things like that and for me so the book the very first page of the book opens with a prophecy from a witch that she (laughs) believes to be true okay and I was like, this is garbage. Are you kidding me? Like, you expect me to believe this? First of all, prophecies are not real and witches are not real. And you're saying that you believe this? And, like, this witch gave this prophecy about her son, Adam. And then she just, like, so it's, like, all of this spiritualness tied into this, uh, like, intelligence and intellectual, like, in- being an intellectual and going to Harvard and how Harvard would be anti-spiritual. You know what I mean? Like, because they want facts and they want proof and they want science and this and this and that, right? So I don't really know. I guess she was just like sharing her story, just like I have this podcast. It's my personal journal, right? I'm just like sharing the experiences that I have in life with the hopes that it helps someone. I'm, I'm assuming that's the purpose of her writing this book too, is just to like get her experience out there. 
Um, and, and so what you're questioning is what was the purpose of using this as a book club book in a work environment? Of course. I mean, yeah. I questioned that from the very first page. I was like, well, did they read this themselves? Like, do they know that this is like, that's a, that's a, I mean, that's a worthy discussion to have. Like yeah. what was the purpose of like assigning a book like this in the work environment? But if it was a disability sort of awareness, that's what it was Effort. I, I can understand why they would why they would do that because they would want to showcase the struggles that people have of course in dealing with that and and make us more empathetic yeah I, I guess that that would be my sort of conclusion yeah. but I wasn't there I didn't read the book yeah I, I just don't know. I just thought the designer baby thing was so interesting that people have that mentality well if it's not perfect oh my then gosh get rid I lived in Palo Alto for so many years people there are crazy yeah it's like the kids have to be perfect and you know five-year-old kids are walking around with Louis Vuitton bags oh my and iPads gosh. so it's it's like yeah that stuff happens I mean sure sure it does yeah and then you just think like trying to put yourself in their shoes too right and just like trying to live out their kind of experiences and how would you deal with that you know I have no answers because it's not my reality but like I don't know. I just thought that the book was so interesting, and I thought it was interesting that work is the one that selected it. Well, hopefully it, it raised a, some, a little bit of empathy. Yeah. Hopefully that was what, what was intended, and that was what the result sure. was. And it was a day, the day that we had the book club discussion is the day that I took PTO. And so I wrote, I missed the, oh. the book club discussion. <laughs> so I don't know what the outcome Darn was. Darn it. Oh, I know. Oh, wow. Thanks. I know. No Scooby-Doo ending here, huh? <laughs> so I really have no idea what people thought. <laughs> and I was, like, really trying to debate, too. Like, Jenna, are you going to come in this in, like, in a, like a, a challenging mode? Are you going to, like, start to challenge this and be like, do you people really think that this is true? She opened the book with a prophecy from a witch and said that this was real. Well, so you know what I mean? I like, know, but I'm, I'm going to just observe something about you yeah. here. What's interesting and what I've always liked about you is that I can be challenging in a more confrontational way. Like, lawyer Barbie can be not very nice, right? Mm -hmm. And I know that that's one of my weaknesses. You can be challenging in a way where, and, you know, I'd like to think I do this too, but you seem to have a natural gift for this. You're challenging in that you ask questions. Yes. And so the questions that you ask really shine a light on what's going on, as opposed to, like, me just getting frustrated and saying, you've got to be kidding yeah. me like you really felt the need to say that in front of everyone yeah, like yeah, what yeah. are you thinking right I mean I'm I can be more like that sometimes but I like the fact that you asked the question so you know if you went to a book club and asked a bunch of questions that's probably what they were hoping for right. that you know a good discussion and a lot of questions and you know and the other thing is I don't think we should ever be afraid to say something stupid right because that's how we learn. Like if, if I'm always perfect or I don't make any mistakes, how can I have any empathy for other people? I can't just walk through life being afraid to say stupid stuff. Yep. You know, yep. if I say something stupid, somebody says that was stupid. I'll go, Oh really? Why is that stupid? Like, tell me why it's stupid. And I want to know yeah. why am I stupid? Right. Cause I don't want to be stupid. Right. And for me, like I'm very inquisitive and I'm very curious. And so when I uh, you're a hundred percent right. And thank you for the compliment. I like that. That's my challengeness is cha that's, I like how that I like that. That's how I challenge people is just by asking more questions. And it's because I just want to understand their thinking and their logic more like, right. okay. So why do you think that? 
you know, or like whatever. And I know, and I think sometimes it can come off kind of harsh. That's never my intention. And I'm not going to sit here and be a dead horse. Like you can give me your explanation. I might not understand it. So I might ask a couple more questions, but then at the end of the day, I'm just going to walk away and be like, okay, that was a great, like fun. That was really fun for me mm-hmm. to be able to like pick your brain so I can get more knowledge and then have my expansion, which is something that I love very much. So, um, yeah, I think that it's fun being inquisitive and asking those kind of like harder, more difficult questions. And I also think back to the, if we're perfect, how can we have compassion for others, which is a beautiful quote that you've said that I love very much. Um, yesterday at work, um, there's a, one, uh, someone that I work with on one of the programs and I've just been, there's just been like not big challenges, but just something like uh, the timeliness of response is just not as fast as say what I would like, but that's okay. I can, that's not negative or wrong. Nothing to run the management about. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to someone else who I work with, who also works directly with this person. And he was like, um, he was saying how, which she had told me already that she has ADHD. So that was like one of our first conversations. And Mm -hmm. it did kind of seem like she was a little bit scrambled, like how, how, how to stay organized. Right. Oh yeah. And I have ADD and I take medication for that. I've been medicated like since I've been eight years old. So I understand I don't have the hyperactivity, but I definitely have the, uh, attention of deficit. So like, I totally understand where she's coming from about like how to stay organized and how to do all these things. So anyways, he had come, he had, we were just he had come to me and was like, she had mentioned that she's depressed, that she's on antidepressants. And he was kind of saying, you know, is it wrong of me to think that this 22-year-old girl is depressed? Does she know what I've been through? She's only 22. Like, when you get to my age, you've lost family members, you have elderly parents, and you have people who rely on you. Like, let's talk about depression at that point. And he said that to me, and I was like, okay. I said, I was just like, you know, I think that you're both right in a sense. I said, I think that she has every right. Like, if you've never been depressed or have had anxiety, it's going to be really hard for you to have empathy and compassion towards someone who does. And I think, like, right now, there's a, a large population who I would say are not understanding about the fact that more people are coming out with anxiety and they think that it's just an excuse and they think kids these days they're just so weak and allergic to peanuts and you know all (laughs) these things right that like we when I was a child that wasn't a thing very much and when you were a child it probably wasn't a thing but now it's becoming a thing and it's becoming more open and aware and I think there are some people who think that it's just a fake made-up excuse and so um I was really, like, sensitive when I was in my response to him, but I had just said, you know, if you've never had depression or anxiety, it's going to be hard for you to understand because I think people who don't, like the BetterHelp commercial, there's a BetterHelp commercial where someone will say, I have depression, and then there'll be all these people speaking into their lives, like, well, just think about the positive things. Well, it's because you're a Taurus. Well, you know, they just keep making up all these excuses because they don't know what it's like to have depression. I don't have depression, but there is someone close to me who does. Mm-hmm. I do have anxiety. Everyone knows about it. I've talked about my, injur- my journey. And it's like sometimes you just can't control it. So I was just trying to help him understand where she was coming from. And I thought it was just like a really beautiful conversation conversation because I said, you know, I think like this would be a great opportunity for you because she probably feels very alone. Mm-hmm. She probably she might even feel afraid. She might feel overwhelmed. I think 
he then confided in me that he has also dealt with anxiety in the past. I said, this would be a great opportunity for you to go to her and ask her if there's anything that you can do to help and for you to share your story with her. So then she doesn't feel alone. So, because that for me, when I'm really struggling, the loneliness is what's going to get me in get me the most right feeling like I'm in this by myself no one else has done it so I just think it was a really awesome conversation I was able to have with him and helping him to see it from the opposite of like oh maybe her depression really is real oh maybe what she is going through is serious and maybe instead of getting angry or irritated or impatient about it I can come to her with a more compassionate heart but some of the things that that you said made it seem like this person has probably dealt with some significant things because there was a whole list of right. things that are upsetting. And so I think it was more of a failure to recognize that it's not a contest to see who's like the most miserable or yeah. the most depressed. Yeah. And it's not about degree. It's about just understanding that someone is going through something that's not easy and, you know, it's like, yeah, maybe it's not on the same, you know, sort of level of difficulty as some of the things that you've been through, but give her time. She's still young. She's going to get there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's like just to have to have the empathy. And empathy can be just a really, you know, simple thing, like shutting up and letting someone vent when they need yeah. to vent or, yeah. you know, just saying hello. Yeah. And, you know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's interesting to hear that, somebody was like upset because somebody else was going through something that wasn't as bad as what they went through. It sounded like that was really the issue maybe. Yeah. I think that he just didn't understand how a 22 year old could be dealing with depression when he's, when he's, he's older, he's just a year older than me and he's dealt with all these things and he is retired. Well, he's not retired, but he is in the air force. He's still active military. So I'm not sure if he's been to war. I don't know. But it does sound like he has dealt with a lot. And so, yeah, it does seem like he was comparing his difficulties to her. But then I had just tried to say, like, none of us are perfect. We all go through difficulties, which is what makes us special. And and try to – I would just try to go to her to try to have some understanding and remember that you were in her place, too, at one time. Well, so if, if I look at somebody who's, say, 22 years old right now, and I'm trying to imagine the last four years of that person's life – that person has only lived a few years. And so that's a, pretty, COVID, right? that's a pretty, you know, big chunk of their life that they have spent dealing with missing out on prom, missing mm-hmm. out on high school graduation, missing out on, you know, a lot in-person college and all the things that happen when you're, you're that age. And so that, that age cohort has missed out on a lot of really important sort of formative experiences that those of us who are older kind of take for granted. And um, I can totally understand how you would feel anxious or depressed or, and then, and then all of a sudden it's like all the fun stuff that we got to have where we goofed off when we were younger, they didn't get to have that and they have to work like, Oh, this sucky thing happened. Now this sucky thing happens. Now what do I have to look forward to the rest of my life? This sucky thing. Right. (laughs) So, I mean, not that work is always horrible, but I mean, there are a lot of other things I'd rather be doing. They have to pay us to show up. They don't have to pay me to show up to watch TV at night. Right. Right. So, um, I can, I I feel like folks of that age cohort are going to be suffering in ways I can't even fathom. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing, like, the opposite of that is 
I, I know the anxiety that I get from my job. I know all the emotions that I feel from my job. <laughs> and how I go to Deborah. Deborah, this job makes me have feelings and emotions that I've never had before. What the heck is going on? And so, but I do think, at least in my job, there is a level of maturity that is needed to be able to handle everything that comes with my job. And this has nothing against her. I don't know her personally. But the fact that he did bring up her age, that's why I'm talking about it now. Uh-huh. It's like, it's, and I work closely with him. I know what he does. I know how dedicated he is. He's an amazing, like, ally for me. Mm-hmm. He stands up for me. He fights for me. Like, I was like, dude, are you single? No, I found out he's married with a kid. And he obviously <laughs> lives in St. Louis, like, not even close to where we are, right? But... It's just, like, this man is incredible. Like, just, I've never met anybody like that before who actually knows how hard our job is because I guess there's, like, a, a word that goes around our company that says people who work in our field, everybody knows that we're overworked. I did not know that that was a thing within our company that people talk about that oh. specifically in our department that we're overworked. And so he goes, I heard about that before I even got hired here. So when I got hired in this position and I knew I would be working with you and people on your team who are this title, he was like, I, I, I'll do whatever it takes to make your job easier. And I was oh, like, how nice. I know. I know. I couldn't even believe, like, some of the things that come out of this gentleman's mouth, I'm just like, who are you? Like, how do I get more of this? You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like, exactly. So anyways, but just going back to the age difference, I think that we've also seen some other people um, – who just might be, I don't know if the maturity level is there. I, I do think that if I would not have gone through what I'd gone through the last four years, I would not have been prepared for this job. Yeah, you know, I I don't know if it's about maturity as much as it is just about having a work ethic. And But, you know, I see what you're saying, though, because there's a lot of, um, a lot of people that um, – need things from us right and sometimes it's hard to sort out whose thing is the most important thing to do right away yes and sometimes it's hard to sort out who just has a hair trigger temper Mm. and and who's throwing a fit for a good reason and who's mansplaining who's egotistical prideful you know all the things yeah it's just like any any job yes but you know i think my my strategy has been to just um when i feel like, I'm not sure what I need to do next. The thing that I always do is I get up from my desk, I go outside, and I pet my dog. Just for a couple minutes. And then I go back inside, and it's like, okay, now I know what to do. And I, so, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of distracting things and a lot of um, sort of demands on your time and attention. And it's more of a strategy of how do I, you know, get all this stuff done how do I batch it? How, how can I be efficient? But then I know there are people who just get overwhelmed and kind of throw their hands up and, yeah. and go, you know what? I'm working from home. I don't feel like working. Yeah. And I've never seen that again until getting into this position. The people who just bury their head in the sand and were like, this is too hard. I, I can't do this. And trust me, there are days where I have the same thoughts, but I know oh, yeah. that I'm not going to do that. I know, like, and that's why I feel like the level of maturity or the level of life experience or just the level of, yes, work ethic and all of that. But I think that that gets built up over time. 
I think that gets built up like you were thrown to the wolves going and being a lawyer. Like, I feel like you had to mature very fast and you had to deal with anxiety, over being overworked, demanding of your time, trying to figure out what a priority is. If you have never been in, in, in a situation like that before and then you come to work on our team, you're not going to know what to do and you are going to get overwhelmed. Well, you're probably right about that. So I'm coming at this position at a different point in my career with right. a whole different set of experience than other people are. Right. So there are things that I may take for granted or that I may completely, totally overlook. I do remember, like what you were saying, there was one time when I was practicing, I had a partner come to me at, you know, it must have been about 5.30 in the afternoon. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to get out of here early. I'm going to be out by 7. This guy comes in at 5.30 and says, I need this and I need it tomorrow. And it was something that I'd never, ever done before. And it was like a $500 million contract for some turbine uh, in a, for an energy company. I'm like, what do I know about this? Yeah. And um, so I'm like, well, I guess I'm going to learn. And it was like the Throw next. to the wolves, like the, I said. Well, it was like 5 o'clock in the morning. Wow. I heard the sanitation truck beep, beep, beep. Mm -hmm. I heard the dumpster open. I look out my window. I'm like, those guys are just starting and I'm still here. Wow. And the next night, it was like, oh, I just really want to get home and change my underwear. I've been wearing the same underwear for Wait, you've two been wearing days. the same clothes? I was wearing the same clothes. Oh, shit. You know, I hadn't brushed my teeth. I hadn't had any sleep. And, wow. And it, it's like, part of me was like, you know, you're just testing me to see how far you can push me. Yeah. And I get it. You can push me and I have to do it. I don't have a choice. Because I've got a lot of student loans and mm -hmm. I need to pay my bills. Yeah. Um, but there, when I went home that night, it was just like, yeah, I had a glass of wine and a good cry because it wasn't the easiest experience I'd ever had. And um, but I did get to wave at the, you know, garbage man. But the guys picking up the trash, they were sweet, they were nice. But I'm like, you know, I really need to get outside and get some fresh air. This is not good for anyone. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's, gosh, that's terrible. I hope he was like nice to you. The partner? Yeah. Oh my gosh, no. Oh, are they not nice too? No, I went to work for a different firm. It's like, no, all you, you guys are just like, <laughs> there's something seriously twisted about the way you're treating people here. Yeah. I'm going to go work someplace else. Yeah. And I did. And it was the same place there too. So it took me about three law firms to figure out, eh, it's not going to change. I'm going to go do something different. Oh, okay. So you think that the attitude is kind of similar within the law firm culture? You mean with uh, like just throwing people out and letting them fend for themselves yes well i you know and the thing is you have a professional license and then you're paid for your independent judgment mm -hmm. so you have to learn how to yeah. use it and i think there's a certain mentality that thinks you have to toughen up and you have to learn how to sort of deal with all kinds of situations and and i've been here longer than you and i make more money than you so I, and i don't feel like doing this myself so you go do it for yeah. me you know there's a little bit of that too yeah wow wow oh Okay, one other thing I wanted to talk about was the other day we were talking about um, my little note says uh, how listening can be power because people will show you their cards just by them talking. <laughs> um, I know that's very vague, but you were saying uh, um, the example that I can use is we were in a, a meeting and someone had made a comment about something, and I was like, oh, um, 
you just gave again you just gave away all of your cards and now i'm going to use this because i'm being treated unfairly in this in this particular situation Mm -hmm. but he was getting something done what what was taking four weeks for my thing to be reviewed it was taking him maybe a couple minutes a couple hours Mm -hmm. but he had said oh i just go to this person Mm -hmm. and you were you had made the comment like well, if you just listen to people, they give away their – do you remember what we were talking about? No, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But what's interesting to me is – so I like to listen. Mm-hmm. I like to listen to people talk. I like to hear their perspectives. I like to listen to what they say. And I also like to listen to what they don't say. Mm-hmm. And that way – but I have to just say something because that is lawyer 100,000%. <laughs> Because when we were doing some negotiation training, we recently had this negotiation training, uh, and I, I looked at the paper, and they gave us this information, and it was irritating the crap out of me because I'm like, you're not giving me anything. Right. Like, how am I supposed to go into this negotiation successfully exactly. when you haven't given me any information? And Deborah looks at me and goes, well, what they want you to do is they want you to start to think about what is not being said. Yes. And in my mind, I well, at first I thought that is so stupid, but then like give me everything that I need to be successful. But then when she said that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's a thousand percent true and so smart. And I'm so glad that you were there to tell well, me that. So the art of negotiation is not to just passively take the information that's presented. Mm-hmm. It's, it's to dig in and go, what do I need to know? And figure out how to know what you need to know. Yeah, and figure out what is it that they're not telling me. Exactly. But that I need to know to be successful but you're, in this. Th- what's so funny about that is you're so good at that because oh. you're such a questioner, right? You're, you're going to be fine. You have, like, nothing to worry about. And then in that negotiation training, I was like, wait, can we have a timeout? I need to ask a thousand questions here. Like, why are you even here then if you don't want to be here? You know, like, just things but, like that because I didn't understand. Like, in my mind, it doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't you want to do business with us if you don't want to do business but with what us? Was you funny know? was when we were in that training and the the trainers would come back into the room oh yeah you you were just peppering them with questions i don't know if you realized that and at one point um they one of the trainers said you know we really have to get something done here you're asking all these questions but it was like she's doing exactly what she's supposed to be doing because if you're in a negotiation and you're trying to do the best job for your company you're trying to make a deal where everybody's gonna like be able to make that deal Mm -hmm. you uh, the more information you have the better off it is right right i mean yeah there's going to be some things you're going to hold back because you don't want to give away things you don't have to give away right right but on the other hand you were really interested in knowing what you needed to know and i thought you know like the the trainer did not get that i'm like dude she's doing a really good job like let her ask her questions because sometimes i feel like i'm the only one that has a thousand questions but it's because you're not giving me all the and you're not giving me all the details so i like how can i make an intelligent decision or come to a negotiation proper so we can come to an agreement if i don't know like well, basic information and the other thing i like is you're not afraid to ask questions a lot of people are afraid to show what they consider to be weakness or ignorance yeah. or whatever i'm not afraid to ask a stupid question you're not afraid to ask a yeah. question and i think people who are you know open to knowing stuff that they don't know are going to be way further ahead like at work oh my god acronyms oh acronyms, gosh acronyms oh acronyms. gosh i was in a meeting a few weeks ago and it was all these people and they were just talking about acronyms I had no idea what they were talking about because I'm new to the industry. So mm-hmm. I asked the question. I said, what does this stand for? 
I kid you not, the guy who was using the acronym said, I don't know. Oh my gosh. I don't know. He said, I don't know. And I said, well, can we find out? Like we're using this acronym to describe this thing that we're all supposed to be working together to, you know, like bring to completion. It would be kind of cool if we knew what it was. Wow. And yeah. And I think the same thing happened to me again um, just the other day where I asked what an acronym was and somebody's, oh yeah, it was an email about, and it was somebody that I really respect was telling me that, oh, well, this doesn't work that way because it's, and then the acronym was thrown into the email and it was, um, I can't even remember what it was. And so I, I sent an email back right away that said, what, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. And the answer was, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're using it in an in a intelligent conversation, what it's supposed to be. Right. And you don't even know what it means. Yeah. It's so crazy. Oh, people do it all the time. And it's, it's, it's just kind of like, it's funny, but it's sort of like, does anybody know? It's like, we're, we're doing business. Does anybody know, know what, what this means? means? <laughs> wow. Wow. And I think like the fact that you're such a great listener is something I definitely admire. Cause sometimes I feel like I can just talk. I really love talking. I love conver- conversation. Like I love asking a million questions, you know, but I do think that there is something like so powerful about listening because oh, I wish you, I wish I could get back or I could remember specifically what you taught, what you said about, you know, if you just listen to these people, if you just actually listen to what they're saying, I think sometimes, Oh, remember we were kind of talking about president Biden and there's this like funny video of him going, uh, going around, uh, someone had asked him a question and he just answered it with like nonsense. And it wasn't because oh. he was trying to divert it. It really wasn't because I think you had said, oh, sometimes people can do that just to, to, to like avoid the question. Yeah, the pivot. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But no, no, no. It was like, I think he was, I don't know. It, it didn't seem like that because even the words coming out of his mouth were not making complete sentences that were like comprehensible. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know. You had just said something. But I definitely think one of your superpowers is listening. And Thank you. Yeah, I think that that's a huge compliment and a huge, like, test of your character. And I definitely need to be better at listening. I just, I try. I try. <laughs> I try. <laughs> it's, it's okay. It's, it's like there are times to talk and there are times to not talk. Mm-hmm. In fact, I think we were in a meeting yesterday where I was IMing you, like, I wish this person would stop, stop talking. talking. Yes. <laughs> Oh, that was a crazy meeting, wasn't it? It was really crazy. But, hey, I mean, that's what they pay us for, so. I know. Well, I did want to say really quick before we close. um, So, I, well, I, like, tried to get a date last weekend. (gasps) Yeah, let me tell you. How'd it go? Well, it didn't, because let me tell you. (laughs) So, now that I've, like, completely changed my, like, mindset that I'm just going to, like, sit back and, like, let the men come to me. Clearly, that's not working, as we know. Um, <laughs> um, I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm always, usually someone, I always go after what I want. Like, why would this have to be any different? Right. So, I just was at a store the other day, on Saturday, and my friend also works on this, at, at this store, but it's a, well, I can just say it. So, it's a TJ Maxx home goods combo store. Mm-hmm. And my friend is a manager on the home goods side. Right. And I was on, I went to like visit her and then I needed to get a piece of luggage. So, I went to the TJ Maxx side and I was looking at the luggage. And anyways, this was a store that I worked at. So, like after I retired from the salon and before I got my current job, I went to work the back room at the home goods at this particular location. Oh, uh-huh. So, I was there for a little bit as I was like trying to find my next career move. Mm-hmm. And, um... 
So one of the ASMs at this particular TJ Maxx, like I had seen him around, but I never ever interacted with him. And I thought, oh, he's kind of cute. But like, I definitely think this was my wrong mentality is, well, he's just an ASM. He's not the store manager. So do I really want to try to date him and then potentially marry him? I'm just going to be honest. These were my thoughts. <laughs> and, um, but I, I'm pivoting. So you'll see where I end up. And so I just kind of like, blew it off and I didn't really think much about it but then last weekend when I was back in the store he actually helped me and I actually got to have a conversation with him and Mm -hmm. he's super nice like very nice and I was just kind of taken back by like how nice he was Uh and so I I checked out he gave me a discount that's really what I wanted because I just felt like the luggage was priced incorrectly only because (laughs) because I needed a carry-on piece and it was the same price as like the next size up Uh and so I just asked him like I know that these tickets come in as is right I've worked in the back room I used to work for TJ Maxx I've now I have experience working at home goods and TJ so I know like what the process looks like when Mm -hmm. we get merchandise in from the truck how we process it whatever so I was just like I just wanted to see if I could get like some kind of discount here. And he and it, he, he told me, so it was originally sixty nine ninety nine. He's like, oh, yeah, we can give it to you for 49 And I was like, um, I was really just looking for 59 So I'm not trying to gouge you guys. Like, I don't need $49 off. Like, I don't need $20 off. I just wanted $10. You gave him $10 for no good reason? Yes, because okay. I didn't want to be that person. Like, I wasn't trying to, like, I just wanted to point out the situation, and I wanted them to, like, rectify it. No, 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 no. I know. No, when it comes to money, don't worry about being that person. I know, I know. You're trying to save for a house. This is true. So, uh, and he's like, okay, then we can give it to you for 59 (laughs) I was like, okay, thanks, that's all I wanted. I wasn't expecting him to take it $20 off. Like, that's a lot. But it's not like you were taking it from him, and he had the authority to make that decision. Yeah, you're right. So, I just went with the 59 anyways, and then I checked out, and then I was just thinking – I was just thinking back to our conversation and the interaction that we had. And I was like, he was actually, like, really friendly. And the thing that got me the most curious in him mm-hmm. is uh, I was, like, kind of waiting for the right time for me to, like, talk to one of the managers about the price. And since I've worked in that store and I've worked for the company in the past, I'm familiar with one of the managers for that particular TJ Maxx. And she was talking with another employee, and their backs were facing me. And so I was just waiting for the time to approach, right? And then I saw him come kind of out of the corner, and he kind of made eye contact, so I waved him over. And he said, how are you? And I was like, "I." my natural response was, oh, I'm fine. How are you? Okay, over here I have, like, I didn't even stop to realize that he – very calmly, very gently, was like, how are you? Uh That's not something that a stranger says to someone else, right? Like, I think in that tone and in that voice and just very, like, it it was as if we had been best friends for years. That's kind of how I felt he approached me, and I've never spoken to him in my life. So that's kind of, I just kept thinking back to that. I'm like, could there be something here, right? So anyways, I reached out to my friend. I was like, hey, what's the deal with this guy over here that – you know, works at your store. And she goes, I said, is he single? And she was like, he is. However, he has four kids. And I was like, well, does he want more? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> I want to have my own kids, you know? I want. I would like to have kids. And, and I also feel like at this point, 
okay if he has four kids. Like, I would prefer if he didn't, but if he's the one, I, I'm not going to discount him because he has four kids. And I'm also not going to discount him because he's the assistant store manager and not the store manager. And that's something I really had to, like, lay my pride down and realize, Jenna, you don't know what his ambitions are. You've never even had a conversation with him. He could be reaching for store management, and it could be around the corner, literally. Like, just because he's an assistant store manager, it doesn't mean that he's not good enough. But it's interesting how, well, I had that mindset, and then the guy at the NAU, you know, he had the same mindset about it being a trade, right, that we weren't intelligent enough. So, so. are you going to go out with this man? Okay, no. So, listen, oh, no. so okay. I asked my friend what, you know, what's his deal, and she's like, do you want me to ask him if he's, like, wants to go on a, on a date with you? And I was like, yeah, like, ask him about me. We had this conversation in the luggage department. Um uh, if he's interested, give him my number and tell him to reach out. Like I was very direct, very forward. Um, and then he said that he's very flattered, but no, he's not interested because he's still like recovering from his divorce. And I so I guess he was divorced in like October or November of last year. Oh, so that's it's very pretty, soon. Oh, very yes. recent. Very but I, recent. But I thought, wow, that was really like kind of him that he was like self-aware enough to know that he's still healing from this trauma. And that he's not just really looking for a rebound. Yeah. And I didn't have the conversation. My friend had the conversation. But in the end, it was the best thing that he could have done. Him saying, no, I'm not ready. And, like, I'll inquire when I feel like I am ready. I was like, perfect. Because my heart was not set on him. I had one simple conversation with him. Well, but here's the thing. You got out of your comfort zone. Yes. Very and, proud of myself. And you met a nice person. Yes. And you may or may not be friends yeah. in the future or whatever, but you got your feet wet. You learned something, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So that's all that mattered. And good for you for asking the questions. See? Yes. Asking questions. That's your superpower. Thank you. I just felt, you know, my word for the year is brave, and I'm going to have to be brave. Like, I'm going to have to take these risks and these chances of... You know, come to think of it, when I met Chris, um, I asked him out first. Did you? I did. I totally forgot about that. I did. Yeah. That was the one one time in my life I did that. The only time I've ever done it. Mm -hmm. So you never know. The I answer know. might be yes. I think that you just have to go after what you want. Like, and I can't just sit back and think he's going to come to me, you know, like that. And, and I think the reason why I was really against it is because I definitely like leadership is something that I think is very sexy, like within a man. And the fact that he can go after what he wants to, just like myself, like, I think that's very attractive. And so I was like, ugh. I went after my ex. I'm the one that approached him and was like, hey, let's date. And he was like, okay. <laughs> so, you know, I was really hoping, like, to be pursued. But that doesn't mean that even if I'm the one that asks him out, that he can't pursue me once we're in the relationship. You yeah, know? and I think that the, the, the other interesting thing to me is that when I, when I met – Chris, I had always dated people who were tall, dark, and handsome. Mm -hmm. I guess I had a type, a physical type. Mm -hmm. And they were um, kind of like Marlboro Man kind of people, mm -hmm. you know, um, ruggedly handsome. Mm -hmm. And and here I meet Chris, and he is um, blonde-haired, blue-eyed, fair-skinned, completely mm -hmm. physically different, had a totally different job than anybody that I'd known before. I had a totally different life experience. Not someone that you would think, you know, if you had a type that would be that type and had a very different kind of personality than I'd ever sort of experienced before. And darned if he isn't like my best friend in the whole world. 
it's beautiful. So you never know right. what you're going to, you know, you don't know what you're going to like until you actually like it, no. I guess. I, or at least that's how it worked for me. Some people, I think, meet someone in high school and they marry them and they're like, you know, friends forever and everything's perfect and they have like nine perfect children and the minivan and that was never my life. <laughs> oh, the high school sweetheart. Gosh, there's so much more I want to talk about, but I think that we've been talking for almost two hours. Oh my gosh. Which has been amazing and I love it so much, but that just means that you have to come back. Oh boy. Which, I mean, yeah, it says an hour and 48 minutes. Oh my God. <laughs> But this is why I wanted to have you on because I knew that our conversations would just flow so naturally. Yeah. Well, like, I love it. So thank you for being here. Is there anything that you want to add before we close up? Oh, Jenna's amazing. Stop. She's gorgeous. Stop. She's smart. She's very, she's such a go-getter. I mean, I am so impressed. So if you are out there and you're interested in meeting a really um, gorgeous, nice, wonderful person, uh, you're missing out. Oh, thank you. Yeah. And you can email me. You know what my email is. <laughs> It'll be in the description of this podcast. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> I mean, I got to put myself out there. Well, thank you for joining me. This has been so fun. And I can't wait to have you back next season. Okay. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Well, that was my awesome conversation with Deborah. What did you guys think? Did you love it? Did you hate it? I would love to have some feedback. Um, I would love to hear from you guys. You do have my email address. Please email me. I would love to be able to have some conversations with my listeners and to get to know um, my listeners on a more personal level. I do this podcast for you. And so reach out to me. I would love to hear from you. But that was such a fun episode. And it was so exciting to have my very first friend on the podcast. And I feel so honored that I got to have Deborah on the podcast and that she was my first one. It's a very exciting, it, it was very exciting and really fun for me to record. And um, this also marks the season finale of season one of my podcast. And I can't believe that I made it through a whole season. You know, I just started this with like a passion and a dream. And here we are a full season in and I'm very happy. And thank you guys so much for listening and for supporting my podcast. I'm very grateful for every single one of you. And I see you guys. Um, I see where you guys are listening from all over the country and all over the world. It's so exciting to see the, the different like hotspots come up in Europe and Australia and, and in Asia and in the United States, Canada. Um, I have yet to have a listener in South America. So if you know anybody in South America, recommend my podcast because I really would like to be in every continent. That would be so exciting. Um, I don't know if I would ever get to like, obviously like Antarctica, but still, I'm really hoping for South America to come up on the map really soon. And as I said, this is my season one finale. So I will be taking the summer off and I will be back in the fall time. And I'm going to be back with even more episodes, more fun topics. And hopefully I'm going to have a few more friends on my podcast. And so that's going to be really exciting. And I'm going to be doing some fun traveling over the summer. So I can't wait to share. It's going to be really fun. Thank you again for listening and stay tuned because my R&Rs are coming up next. Is it just me or do other people have issues with grammar errors? I don't think it could be the only one. But every time I read and I find an error like in a published book, it makes me so upset because I think, A, these publishers need to be fired. They're not doing their job. I think, B, did the author like um, not have enough people review it? Be like, see, did they self-publish? But I feel like even if you self-publish, you could still get an editor, right? Am I crazy? 
And I also know like I need to give them grace because I make mistakes too when I'm like typing out a really long email. And even though I've read it a million times, like my mind, my mind is like playing a trick on me because I'm reading the word that I want it to be, not necessarily the word that is there, right? But this is kind of my rant for the week is there is a HelloFresh commercial that absolutely drives me crazy. And it is the commercial with the single woman and she lives in an apartment and I'm pretty sure that this girl has like a YouTube channel and I think it's called like single living in New York or something. I could be very wrong, but, um, and like the writers of this episode have her say, hello fresh is so good for me on the days when I don't feel like cooking and I just can't be bothered. And I think, wait a minute, this Commercial literally shows her cooking, but she just said, HelloFresh is so good on the days that I can't be bothered cooking. Does it does that bother anybody else or is it literally just me? Like the first time I heard that commercial, I was like, wait a minute, that makes no sense. Like that was an error and no one caught it. And I'm thinking like HelloFresh is a huge company. They probably have like a solid marketing team. They have to have writers for these commercials, like which I'm assuming would be part of the advertising team. But I just think, did is this an error that no one caught? Like who passed this? Who like checked off on this and was like, oh yeah, that makes logical sense. It doesn't make any logical sense. Now it would make sense if she was like, you know, on days that I can't be bothered going to the grocery store. Of course, that makes perfect sense because it's a food delivery service. But the fact that she says on the days I can't be bothered cooking, HelloFresh is a great option. I'm like, girl, you still have to cook the food. It doesn't just magically like come already cooked and it's not like you're ordering a chef. No, no, you're just ordering a food delivery service. It really bothers me. And I feel like every time I, I hear I hear that commercial or see that commercial, I always have to make a comment because I just get so annoyed. Okay, what I want to rave about this week is my number one most favorite TV series, and it's called Suits. And I know that I'm a little late to the game on this one, but since I was having religion over the last four-ish years, I wasn't watching much television. Then, once I left the church and I, like, started to get my regular life back, I was, like, and I was retired at the time, so I was watching, like, a lot of television, you know, some perks of the retired life. And I was on Peacock and I was like, huh, what is there to watch? And then I saw the look like the little like, um, is it like the logo of suits? Is that what it would be called? That's just what I'm going to go with. Y'all know what I'm talking about. The little like advertisement, right? Where it shows like the little snippet of the show. And I was like, suits. I was like, what is this about? Because I don't really think I knew much about it before I started watching it. And then I watched it and I was hooked. I was literally hooked right away. So if you guys are unfamiliar with the show, let me tell you a little bit about it. It is a legal drama show about a top law firm in Manhattan. It first premiered on the USA Network in 2011. It has nine seasons and is one of USA's top rated shows. Also, it is one of cable's highest rated programs. It has a Rotten Tomato score of 90%. And like I said, you can binge watch the show on Peacock. It has everything you want in a TV series from drama, backstabbing, romance, bromance, comedy. Also, they bring in new characters throughout the seasons. And it makes the show better, not worse. Because I feel like how many TV shows do we watch and they'll like take characters away or like add new characters. And you're like, ugh, I really love the original cast. Well, that's not this show. 
yes, I think you're going to fall in love with the original cast because Mike and Rachel, mm, so good. Like, I feel like they have what looks like a healthy relationship on TV. I have to give it up. I think the the writer's name or the creator of the show is Aaron Kaur. I know his first name is Aaron, but I can't remember what his last name is. But I feel like he does such a good job with Mike and Rachel. Mike is um, Patrick J. Adams and Rachel is Meghan Markle. And I feel like for a television relationship, theirs is actually pretty healthy. I think that they go through like regular things that that like real life couples go through. They fight, they make up, like they laugh, they cry, they have, they do some things that do hurt each other, but, but it's actually quite beautiful to see how their relationship evolves. And like, I think that they have a healthy relationship. So I think it's kind of a positive thing. And it's one thing that I really love about the show is the relationship aspects in the show. And the show also has so much sarcasm, which that holds a special place in my heart. Um, And I just love, I love the show so, so, so much. So, so I can't say like enough good things about this show. I love the characters in this show. I love the strong female leads in the show. I love, you know, the power dynamics in the show. I just, oh, the cast is phenomenal. And it actually kind of has a cult following, which I think is also really cool that so many people related to this show and that it was like such a powerful program. Another thing that I love is like uh, in real life, Patrick J. Adams, who's played by Mike, is married to Troyanne Belisario who plays, like, I think she's in a few episodes, maybe one or two episodes in one of the seasons. And, like, they end up kind of dating, and then they break up, and they go their separate ways. But, it like, a, a fun little backstory is um, she auditioned for that part because they were actually dating, and they wanted to be able to spend more time together because Suits was um, filmed in Toronto, And I believe like she was in California at the time. However, I think both of them are Canadian, just like myself. I am half Canadian. And so I just think it was so cute that a way that they got to spend more time together was like to film together. And like now they're married and they're so cute. I recently just watched their Architectural Digest like home tour of their Los Angeles home. It's so cute. I I, I think they're so cute. But check out the show. I hope you guys like it. And I just I think you're going to love it. Well... That is all I have for you on the season one finale of A Conversation with Jenna. But remember, the conversation doesn't have to end here. If you have thoughts and opinions on my thoughts and opinions, you can email me at aconversationwithjenna at gmail.com. I can't promise that I will respond to every email, but I would love to hear from you. Also, please rate and review my podcast on whatever platform you listen on. I would greatly appreciate it. Don't let the things you want make you forget the things you have. Thank you so much for listening, and I can't wait to talk with you soon. Bye.